Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Here we go. You all set? Yeah. Okay, because you've been awfully busy getting ready for your trip to uh, Albuquerque. Your your friend Steph is getting married. Yeah, I am uh, freshly exfoliated and shorn, and I think that's that's pretty much all the effort I can put into this. So now, when you say shorn, uh, did you use my razor again? I actually didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I found one of mine that I had packed away for one of our cruises. And I was like, hey, bonus razor. Nice. Yeah. It's always good to have a bonus razor. <laughs> Though I'm keeping yours just in case. Fantastic. I'm certain this wedding is going to be flawless, that nothing is going to go wrong. Not sure. Um, but I just, it reminded me of this article I just read. There was a, a wedding in, I think it was Sweden. And during the reception, uh, the guy asked um, everybody to stand up, the, the groom, he asked everybody to stand up, and he was going to do a toast. Uh, so he, he does the toast, and then he says, okay, now look under your glasses, and everybody did. If you have a red dot under your glass, please sit down. And so, you know, they, they sat down, and... And then he said, those of you who are left standing, uh, everybody take a look at him. These people slept with my fiance over the past three weeks. And then he left and filed for an annulment. Now, what? I know. 
that's a classic move, but geez, now he's got to get, he knew this while he, he went through the whole marriage thing. Yeah. Now he's got to pay for an annulment. Mm. Yeah. No, my mom was telling me a similar kind of situation. A woman uh, figured out that her husband was cheating and so she was going to go on some sort of like weekend vacation or something. Um, but instead, she organized a quote unquote surprise birthday party for her husband oh. and then organized that everyone would show up and surprise what? him mid coitus <laughs> with her, his lover. And I just feel like they're you know, you've got, you just brought a lot of people into this drama that did not ask for it. And uh, now his mom's like seen his adult peen. Yeah. And it, no one, I mean, I just, I think that was wrong. There's, I understand the desire to humiliate and be like, see, see what he's doing. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, that's, that's not their fault. They didn't deserve to see that. You know, Hallmark should make a uh, a mid-coitus surprise greeting card. Is it a pop-up card? <laughs> be a pop-up card, yeah, it would be. You can't look at your phone mid-podcast. Sorry. That's rude. Well, it's, it's from it's from a, it's one from one of our freaks. I know, but we're in the middle of yeah. something. You're going to mess okay. up the flow of things. The the gate. The the the, the verbal feng shui. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Theboxofoddities.com. Curator at theboxofoddities.com is uh, our email address. And you go first this episode. Okay. Yay. I got excited about this and I pulled together my information and then I realized, well, maybe this isn't an oddity, but I'm going to do it anyway. All right. All right. It's interesting either way. In local dialect... Akashinga means the brave ones. And that's also the name for the women's anti-poaching unit in Zimbabwe. Okay. Is is that a voluntary force or is it... uh... I'm going to tell you. It was founded by Damian Mander at the International Anti-Poaching Foundation. The armed group has already made 42 arrests leading up to uh, nine-year sentences. The Ranger unit deploys across Zimbabwe's lower valley, an area that used to be a trophy hunting reserve, but now local communities are reclaiming it to help preserve one of Africa's largest elephant populations. So this is a group of women, armed women, Mm -hmm. who enforce anti-poaching laws. Yes. Do do they bust a cap on? They uh, will. Yeah. They will bust a cap. Really? On your trophy hunting ass <laughs> and not apologize for it. According to a conservation biologist, his name is Victor Muposhi, the lower Zambezi Valley has lost 11,000 elephants in the past 10 years. Oh, my God. But he believes that hiring and training female rangers directly from local communities is a game changer. He says that developing the conservation skills in communities creates more than just jobs. It makes local people directly benefit from the preservation of wildlife. It helps not just elephants, but entire ecosystems. And with this army, women's empowerment is at the core of it. Um, Because you're dealing with uh, women who have been recruited from highly vulnerable um, 
minorities, women who um, have been left uh, as single mothers, women who have had families entire families die of disease, uh, women who have been the victims of uh, rape or domestic violence. And, and, and probably repression just within the society For their, sure. their entire lives. And so this program is helping to change those, those women into community leaders. It's a stepping stone toward ending trophy hunting. And I imagine it also taps into their uh, pent-up rage, which uh, is probably useful when you're busting a cap on a poacher's ass. Yes. I mean, I think that the, a group like this would be handy for almost any woman. Yeah. And, and dealing with their pent-up rage. The group aims to recruit 2,000 women, which will protect a network spanning 30 million acres of African wilderness and biodiversity by 2030. And uh, that will all be reclaimed from trophy hunting and run by women. There was an interview that I watched with one of the men who has been training these women. He is a Marine who has trained in Australia, his native country. He's also trained in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. He has trained thousands of men. And he said this is the first group of women that he's ever trained. And he went into this having this idea of what it would mm. be like. Mm. He said that the last group of men that he trained started with 193 men and at the end of a one month training there were only three men who who remained pretty rigorous training he's he does not mess around with this training with a similarly sized group of women that he started training in zimbabwe he lost three at the end of the month. Wow. So these women are, they're there to stay. They, they've really decided that they're taking, uh, taking control of their lives sure. by, by becoming a part of this. And it's something that they feel like, one, because they can really support families with the money that they're making and they can make a difference in their community. And, and I imagine, too, no matter how hard that one-month training course is, it's probably a cakewalk compared to uh, just what their everyday life has been like in many cases. In some cases, for sure. Some of the points that are made in the um, mission statement in the organization of this group says that a growing body of evidence suggests that empowering women is the single biggest force for positive change in the world today because it's, you know, half the population. And if especially in certain parts of the world, women are still you know, not like in America, where women are treated 100% equal as men. You know, it's not like that. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. But studies show that a woman with a salary in rural Africa invests up to three times more than a male into her community. Um, plus, 72% of operational costs of the Akashinga model go directly back into that local community, turning biodiversity conservation into a community project. So where a lot of the um, dollars that went into the community before were coming from trophy hunting, the concern was as they were cutting that out that the communities would suffer. But the factors 
that I just mentioned equal to a better financial return for the community than what trophy hunting had provided. Hmm. So this is better for the environment. It's better for the ecosystem. It's better for the elephants. It's better for the community and especially for these women. It's much better for the elephants. For sure. And um, it has been praised as a very efficient and effective and scalable model, which inspires and empowers women to give them the opportunity to secure their own destiny and take care of their own families and not feel like they are beholden to a man or, or sure. you know, whatever. It also prepares women for kind of a worst case scenario in their roles like they are they are trained hard and they know how to use weapons and they know how to fight Um, but it fosters a harmonious relationship with local communities and um, it's not about going in and being rough and tumble it's about going in and educating and teaching communities about you know why this is a better choice and why keeping their their animals and their communities safe are is better than allowing this sneaky type trophy hunting which is evil and gross (laughs) and doesn't make you cool and stop posing with that elephant just saying you look dumb i'm getting angry with all the backlash from social media postings of uh, trophy hunters you know with their dead giraffes or what you, you would it's amazing that people still want to do this and then put it up online yeah well i mean there are of course legal trophy hunting opportunities which i still think is gross but in in this part of Zimbabwe, it's it's illegal, and and you could get shot by a by a sassy lady. You could get shot by a sassy lady who is all pent up with rage. So anyway, that's the that is the short and sweet of Akashinga, the brave ones, the all female anti poaching unit in Zimbabwe. How long has this been going on? It's still relatively new. The um, article in The Guardian that I read and the article in National Geographic that I read were both from 2017. And then when I went to the website, um, iapf.org, that's where um, you can find more about the, the organization and its goals. It talks about this specific group being started in early 2017, but I don't know about other models that are similar to it. But let's say 2017. 2017. (laughs) So again, I don't know if it's an oddity so much, but I think it's fascinating and it's... um, Empowerment in women is so important everywhere, but especially in these places where women are so marginalized and uh, they don't have a lot of opportunities to be the um, the bread maker, or and especially in this kind of role where they become like a community leader and educator and also making the dollars to to feed their family it's just awesome that's all and again if you want to learn more you can find the website at iapf.org there are photos of the the group and them's some badass chicas let me tell you what i'm so impressed with them and i just i don't know i think about my my cushy life and i think you would be a a Everybody I know, you would be the best anti-poaching soldier ever. Because 
you wouldn't even ask questions. You know, it would be like if there was a person that kind of looked like they could be a poacher, like even at the grocery store, you would you would take them down. You <laughs> True would story. crush their spine right in the produce section. True story. In um I think it was sixth grade or seventh grade. Uh, we were having a group discussion about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And um, my teacher was asking for like more specific things, not just I want to be a firefighter, but like, where do you want to be a firefighter and why? And, the, you know, more right. spe- specific questions so that kids could actually start forming ideas about how they would get to those things. And uh, when it came to my turn, my answer was I wanted to be a poacher poacher. A poacher poacher. Yep. And And my teacher said, that's not a thing. And I said, but I could make it a thing, right? I mean, there's a first for everything. Yeah. How old were you then? Uh, It was either sixth grade or seventh grade. And you were advocating murdering um, people who shot animals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Mm. I think there were already some marks in my uh, folder anyway. Because, like, you know, third grade was when I had Cujo taken away from free reading because she said that wasn't appropriate free reading. And I was like, well, then is it free reading or not? (laughs) Pick one. Okay, black mark there in your folder. (laughs) This one's a problem. Yep, third grade, already questioning authority. We can't have that. Early signs of oppositional defiance disorder. And can I just say, I love that about you. Thanks. And <laughs> until you suggest something so nicely and I say, you know what? You don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'll be like, sweetie, why don't you have the rest of my sandwich? Don't tell me what to do. Um, okay, I'll eat it. No, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> what kind is it? What kind is this? Is this so good? It began as that stuff that didn't seem to fit anywhere else. It's become that thing in the middle. This subject was actually uh, suggested by one of the freaks at curator at the box of oddities.com. Uh, fart facts. It's a gas, gas, gas. Oh, wow. That reminds me of uh, our our old boss. You remember a few bosses ago? Yeah, 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 I remember. No, sh- sh- yeah. And uh, <laughs> we were having uh, yet another meeting about why they even bother employing me. And um, <laughs> I don't remember what we were arguing about at that point, but he said something along the lines of, it's like that uh, Rolling Stones song. No one knows the words to that. And I was like, I was born in a crossfire hurricane. And he was like, you know, he's one of those people that you could tell by his face that he was saying in his head, I do not like you. Yeah. He didn't really have much of a command of the English language either. Do you remember Remember that one meeting we had? And it's like, hey, maybe we could put this, uh, put this on Facebook. And he was like, well, we'll have to check the onlineness of that. The onlineness? <laughs> oh god bless him corporate america you gotta love it yeah but he just didn't like me much after i shamed him about how he treated his puppy it doesn't matter <laughs> mm-hmm. fart facts fart facts number five farts have been clocked at a speed of 10 feet per second how do they how do they how do they do they have like a little radar gun little fart radar guns 
Ma'am, do you know how fast you were farting? <laughs> um, no, well, I, I was in a hurry. Number four, Roman Emperor Claudius declared that, quote, all Roman citizens should be allowed to pass gas whenever necessary, which is an ancient variant of the modern maxim, wherever you be, let the wind blow free. <laughs> Better out than in, I always say. Now, if you're gassy and you fart a lot, you can go pro. There's a professional farter. Naturally, he goes by the name of Mr. Methane. He's a performing flatulist and performs what he calls the art of controlled anal voice employing. <laughs> okay. Anal voice employing. Number two. Hitler was a big farter. Not only uh, did Hitler have hepatitis, he also suffered from chronic gastrointestinal cramps, which led to a condition of chronic flatulence for which he took 28 different medications. So besides being, you know, evil, just the worst, he was also just really gassy all the time. And I'm glad that he's dead? Oh, yeah. But I'm also glad that he suffered from gastrointestinal oh. gastrointestinal stress, which, you know, I have IBS, in case you didn't know. Um, and This I, is like the third time you've brought up your irritable bowel syndrome. On it's the a big deal in my life. I used to be uncomfortable all the time. And number one, the word fart dates back to the 14th century Middle English word for furtin or fartin or fjortin, which means to break wind, while others say it dates back to old Germanic languages for a word specifying breaking wind. Whatever you think, it's definitely a fantastic piece of knowledge to share with your friends at a cocktail party. And let's face it, the word fart is just funny. Furtin. <laughs> Furtin. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Thanks to everybody who has reached out to us on the social media or uh, sent us an email at curator at theboxofoddities.com. Don't forget, you can you can get merch on our website, too, uh, theboxofoddities.com. Including the new design by Lucy Rice, which is absolutely beautiful and perfect, and I love it, and everything I own is going to have it on it, and I just love it, and it's so good. She gets really angry about beautiful things, Lucy. It's so pretty. One of the first episodes that we did, my topic was deathbed visions. Yes. Things that people see or say they saw just as they were dying or, or slightly before they were dying. Is it real? Is it hallucination? It, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting question. True. This is similar, but it's a little darker. Oh, darker than deathbed? Visions, yeah. All right. These are horrifying last words that people said just as they were dying. Horrifying? Yeah, not good last words. The, this comes from uh, Thought Catalog, and these are experiences that hospice workers have had, surgeons, doctors, nurses, that sort of thing. I'm curious. One nursing home attendant said, I had an old lady flag me down in the hallway a few days before she died. And with her emaciated face and bulging eyes, she said, quote, you know where I'm going. I asked her what she meant, and she repeated herself. She said, you know where, where I'm going when I die, and it ain't up. I was taken aback and asked her if she wanted to talk to a priest that we have on staff. She shook her head and said, no, it's, it's too late for that. A few days later, she was eating her supper and started screaming. She yelled, 
Fire! Fire! There's fire everywhere! And then she died quite suddenly. I couldn't sleep that night, and I still have trouble sleeping when I think of it. Oh, that's rough. That's a tough way to go. Yeah. And that's... uh, uh, I feel like the worst thing is if you think you're going to hell, and maybe you kind of create that in your own brain. And so, I mean, essentially you are in hell. If you torturing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. Here's an experience that a, uh, a surgeon shared. He said, not sure if this is, quote, creepy, but a man on his deathbed kept repeating over and over, mumbling, the body is in the woods next to the oak tree. The body is in the woods next to the oak tree. Do you think he was confessing to a murder? Well, the police were notified and they did a search in some woods behind the man's house. They never did find anything, but those were the last words. He he just mumbled them over and over until he died. Well, maybe it wasn't the woods behind his house. Maybe it was some other woods. The, the woods can be very... Uh, that's a very vague thing. Yeah. He could mean different woods. I think it was some sort of a deathbed confession. <sighs> that's my opinion. I need to know. This one came from Big Heart 23. Uh, I'm a lab person. I had to go to the ER to draw blood from a code stroke patient that uh, just came in because the EMTs couldn't couldn't get it. I, I got there. It was just me and him. Before he went into uh, cardiac arrest, he looked at me and he said, am I dead? I'm in hell. And then he died. Ooh. Code stroke patient is my favorite song by Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> code stroke patient. Trying to get to you. Sorry. Okay. From an ER physician, I've heard many last words from patients, but the creepiest one had to be a man who was uh, on his last breaths as he succumbed to renal failure. And he looked up and said, I see a bright light. Horses. No eyes. No, no, no. And then he died. The horses didn't have eyes. It doesn't specify who didn't have eyes. It could have been the horses. It could have been somebody riding the horses. Interesting. He says, we know in the medical field that these situations can be provoked by a cascade of uh, neurotransmitters in disarray due to tissue or organ failure. But I sometimes have my doubts. And perhaps we are seeing more than we are led to believe. I hope I see horses when I die. (laughs) But sparkle ponies, not eyeless hell horses. I mean, can I still ride them? I don't see why not. All right, we're fine then. You know how I like warm weather. (laughs) (laughs) There was a TED Talk by a woman who talked about deathbed visions. And she was talking about the um, debate on what it is. You know, is it something from the afterlife? Is it something that the people are um, have eyes on that that we who aren't dying don't have the ability to see? Right, right. Or is it just, you know, your brain is shutting down and certain things are misfiring and, you, you know. And what her point was, was that in her experience, the people that she had seen die that had deathbed visions, they were all um, welcomed by family. You know, they were seeing people that they hadn't seen in years. They were excited about what was happening. They were pleased that they were going to meet their husband or their wife that they'd lost years before. And she was saying that the the important thing is not why that it happens, but that it happens and that um, she's talked to people before who have tried to like 
talk their loved ones out of what they say they're seeing, yeah, you know, like, yeah. oh, no, they're not here. And it's like, why are you doing that? Why would you yeah, do that? Why would you do that? Why? So it's not important why it happens. I think one of the toughest jobs has got to be um, like a paramedic or an EMT, especially when you're reporting to the scene of an accident where children are involved. One EMT uh, said he reported to a, a scene where a nine-year-old had been struck by a vehicle. Mm-hmm. He said, tell mom I see the line. Tell mom I'll be back. And then is he, I'm not going to describe what happened then, but he passed away at that point. And the medic said, uh, it still haunts him to this day. How could it not? I see the line. I wonder what that means. Well, in many de- and near-death experiences, they talk about recognizing that there's a certain distance that they can go. Uh, once they cross over that line, they cannot come back. There's a point of no return, in other words. And then finally, one man said uh, that he was at the deathbed of his grandfather, who had been unconscious for days, suddenly woke up, looked at him, and whispered, They have no eyes. Oh, no eyes again. And then he died. Interesting. Yeah, that's two different cases where they said that they had no eyes. Do you think it was horses? It could have been horses. And they were just, you know, when you die, if there is an afterlife, I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to be met, not by loved ones, not just by loved ones, but like unicorns. (laughs) Unicorns? Yeah. Oh, sweetie, thank you. And then you can ride the unicorn. Because I'm, I know that's something that you would really enjoy and you would really like, unicorn riding. Only if it's a sturdy unicorn and I feel like he can support my weight. Well, he'd be a ghost unicorn. So That's true. Yeah. And I would be a, a ghost person. Sure. So, yeah. So, I guess. The laws of physics don't really apply. No, I guess not. In the netherworld. That's a really sweet thing to say. So, I, I've thought a lot about this because I've read a lot about uh, deathbed visions that were comforting and mm-hmm. warm and reuniting of loved ones. Sure. Uh, and and then, you know, there are these types of deathbed, not visions, but last words. And well, I guess visions in some, sure. some cases. And I think you might be onto something. I think that maybe we get what we think we deserve. That if you believe you're going to go to hell, mm-hmm. then perhaps you're judging yourself on some level, whether it's Real or not. Right. You are your own St. Peter. Is he not the judgy guy? He's the one that lets you in, right? Yeah, it's St. Peter, yeah. Yeah, all right then. Right. You just looked at me like I was a no, freaking idiot. No, I, no, I didn't mean to. I just, oh, Lord. I was just picturing St. Peter like as a bouncer at a bar, like with a velvet rope. Can he, is he wearing a blazer, but it's rolled up at it's the sleeves? rolled up at the sleeves. Hollow out style. Yeah, and he's uh, he's got uh, like those really colorful Ted Danson socks from uh, The Good Place. I love that show. When is that coming back? September. If you've not watched The Good Place, do yourself a favor. Can we recommend it, please? I think Kristen Bell is just about the sweetest person I've ever seen in my life. And I just, I want to support her in everything she does. And it's even if she weren't in that show, I would love the show. So combine those two things and I'm a, a big supporter. It's a 10. 10. And I have to say, and we, we both agree on this, uh, neither one of us were, were huge Ted Danson fans. I never liked Ted Danson. But after watching him in The Good Place, now he's like the coolest thing ever. I love Ted Danson. I think of Ted Danson as all in the same category as like Ed Begley Jr. now. Yes. Kind of hip. Yeah. I love it. 
Me too. September 27th. That's when it that's when it comes back? Yes. Okay. Awesome. For 13 episodes. <sighs> now I want to watch the Kristen Bell sloth video. And I use her emotional scale now um, when I try to explain people like who I am and how I am. Like if I'm not between a three and a seven, I'm crying. Right. So that's and I got that from from the Kristen Bell uh, sloth experience. How are you feeling? I'm feeling uh, kind of jacked up. I'm feeling Kristen Bell holding a sloth. Yeah, that's me in tears. So anyway, dead people say weird things. The end. This was fun. Good. That was fun. It's, uh, well, kind of disturbing, but hey, that's what happens here on the Box of Oddities. Sometimes well, it's uh, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's, uh, well, hopefully it's always fun. Sometimes it's it's happy. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it just is. That was heavy. It was very greeting card-ish. Yeah, I read that on the inside of the surprise mid-coitus uh, greeting card. <laughs> Yeah, my sister says that uh, sometimes you have to look at the world as not that things are bad or that things are good. They just are. They just are. They just are. She's a mana. She's also the best human that's ever existed. And that's the end of that story. Yeah, I would agree. She's wonderful. Golf clap for Marsha. Again, we love your emails and comments, curator at theboxofoddities.com or any of our uh, social media sites. Like Instagram, where we got a message from All Aboard 1955 that said, Today I woke up to your show. My phone decided it wanted to do something odd this morning. Instead of my normal alarm sound, your show was playing instead. That was by design. All aboard 1955. Just as we intended. We're taking over your devices. It's very Twilight Zone. Oh, no, that was was that one. Do not adjust your television. Outer, Outer limits. limits. Outer Limits. Yeah. The Box of Oddities twice a week now. We'll see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2018 All rights reserved Let's get a pig and a goat If you like this podcast can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.